Awesome. Good morning, church. Hello. My name is Sophie. For those of you who don't know me, I'm on staff here at Hillcrest Baptist. Um, So I just wanted to start this morning with a question. So our our passage ended with no action taken against Paul and his colleagues, which kind of left me thinking, why did Luke decide to include this story in the book of Acts? What does this story tell us about the early church and our world today? So keeping that in mind, we're going to dive into the passage and we're going to actually be doing some discussion this morning, so get ready for that um, later on. Awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our King and we come to you this morning in awe and worship of you. You are wonderful. God, you are amazing. We just thank you that we can actually come and worship you and be in your presence despite anything that's going on in our week, anything that's going on in our life that might be just hard for us, God. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing in all of creation that can ever separate us from your love. And so this morning, God, I just pray right now for your love to wash over every single person, Lord, that we would have a fresh understanding of who you are. And God, as we come to our passage, Holy Spirit, would you just anoint the words to speak to us? Would um, your, your way, your words, your knowledge come through this morning? And as we come to discussion, we just pray, Lord, that um, we would be able to just really unpack this, this passage together. God, that we would be understanding of different perspectives and views. Um, and God, also, Lord, that we would just um, bring you glory and just worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before getting into the second half of Acts 19, which is what Simon read for us, thank you, Simon, we're going to start actually at looking in the first half of Acts. So I'm just going to highlight a few things that are going on in Ephesus before the riot. So the first half of this chapter, Paul is bringing the gospel to the people in Ephesus. Um, We see baptisms, um, we see people speaking in tongues, um, and Paul is spending like time in discussion with these people. He goes to the synagogue. Um, he also goes to um, this, can't quite remember, but it's like a court sort of thing. Um, and he's spending two years sharing and discussing the word of the Lord with Jews and Greeks in Asia. Through Paul, God is doing extraordinary miracles. That's what the, the word says. And in Acts 19.20, Um, states, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So in Ephesus and Asia, large numbers of people are turning to God, causing a disturbance, which is where we get to with Demetrius. So according to our passage, this disturbance started with a silversmith named Demetrius. Demetrius is a businessman making shrines of Artemis, a Greek goddess, out of silver. The cult of Artemis was huge in Ephesus. In um, in New Zealand today, we might not be able to understand how big of an impact it is to have a temple to a god or a goddess in your your city. Um, It's actually a really big honor for them. And um, their temple was actually ranked one of the seventh wonders of the world. So this is a huge temple overseeing the people. 
And as I said, within Greek society, this is a huge impact on their religion. Um, it has a huge presence in their, in their city. And the Artemis cult is actually being used by Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen to make an income. So it's his business. It's how he's getting his livelihood. So Demetrius gathers his fellow workers. They come together, the other tradesmen, and he tells them about what Paul has been doing, how he's been leading these people towards Jesus and away from Artemis. Paul has told people that these gods that they're making with human hands are actually no gods at all. It says in verse 27, there is a danger not only to our trade that we will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. The tradesmen, they begin shouting, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians, causing an uproar in the city. People begin gathering, a lot of them not actually knowing why they're gathering, but they seize Paul's companions and they gather in a theater. This is a bit strange. But, I mean, if you think of a, of a mob or a crowd or a riot that, I don't know if anyone's seen a rob, mob or seen videos, but these people are shouting for two hours, two hours, saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, for two hours. It's two hours, just quite a long time. After this riot, no charges were taken against Paul and his companions. So why this passage? Why Luke? Why this passage? I think in this chapter, we start seeing how the gospel is impacting Asia. The gospel is impacting, or I like to use this word invading. I don't know if that's a bad word to you, but I think of the gospel as like an invasion, like it's entering into every single area of their life. We see their economic, their political um, their social, their religious world is being impacted by the gospel. For Demetrius and the tradesmen, Paul's critiquing their idols, which is causing a cost to them. Their customers aren't coming anymore. They're not getting as much income. This story reveals also an impact on society. Without knowing the reason for the riot, these people are gathering together. Like, imagine if we all just stopped what we were doing in Hamilton and we just gathered just because everyone else was. Like, it's having a huge impact on their society. And in a society that worships the emperor, imperial cult, the gospel is having an impact on their politics. Caesar's lordship is threatened by Christians declaring, Jesus is Lord. It's a political statement. And as we see the gospels impacting their religion, the Artemis cult, because people are turning away from their worship for Artemis towards God. And the Artemis cult, temple worship, as I said, is the central religion in Ephesus. In Ephesus, there is no area the gospel isn't reaching. The gospel is invading their society. Every aspect when Paul first came to Asia, Christianity was the minority religion. But the gospel, it's spreading, it's impacting society, and this riot is proof 
and, and of how the gospel is entrenching, impacting, invading every aspect of their lives. So I did a little investigation, and I wanted to investigate the impact of the gospel on our society in Aotearoa today. So I had a look at Stats NZ. Let's bring it up. So this is, this is um, a table from a census that was done 2006, 2013, 2018. The next census is... 2023, so that's probably going to give a little bit more light to true figures, but um, I also just want to point out the statistics that I found were very similar, so this is for New Zealand as a whole, but it was very similar for Hamilton as well. So the information that you guys are seeing is to do with what religion people identify with. So in 2018, um, Christianity is at 36.5%. And um, those are people who are identifying as Christian, which could mean a lot of things. But you can also read in this table other religions that people are identifying with. So I want to draw our attention to five years before 2013. Um, Christian, Christianity between 2013 and 2018 has dropped 11%. So although in Aotearoa, more people identify with Christianity than any other religion, there's still a 12% difference between those who identify with no religion. That's the highest percentage in 2018, 48.2%. So these stats reveal that it's more common for someone living in New Zealand to identify with no religion rather than Christianity. And it leads me to believe that the Christian worldview and the gospel, um, the impact on our economics, politics, society, faith dynamics is actually a minority viewpoint, quite similar to what Paul um, was ministering in. So we're going to go to the next slide. So I want you guys to talk with the people next to you. And I'm asking the question, do you think that these statistics are true in terms of do you think that what you're seeing, what you're experiencing in your lives, is this a true kind of representation for you or not? And so, yeah, just take a few minutes, discuss with the people next to you. Um, Go for it. I'll go back to the stats. All right, I'm just going to get us to come back. Um, maybe one or two people might want to share their thoughts. Anybody? Yep, Rose, do you want the mic? Okay, so this, this is a good thing. It's what um, Rose said. Christianity should not be holding political power. It's against what we stand for. Is that right? Yep. Anyone else? Yeah, so even though we might see different difference in numbers, the, I guess, quality over quantity kind of Christian, Christianity, Christians today are... Okay, cool. Yeah. Individual quality is growing. Yeah. Okay. Going to go to my next question. So thinking about Paul and Ephesus and the way that um, the gospel is impacting every area of this society... My question is, is Christianity impacting our society? Why or why not?
So talk amongst yourself again. Give you a little bit longer. Hi, um, I just want to kind of reframe the question a little bit. So in terms of like Christianity is obviously like it's a, it's a religion in itself. So there's lots of like morals and values and stuff that comes with it. But more specifically in terms of like the gospel in terms of actually Jesus rather than just necessarily. And I know the morals reflect on Jesus, but in terms of kind of that motive behind actually following kind of these morals and stuff. So yeah, so more the church as in the people of God. What is the, what is the impact on society? Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, keep discussing. Just bring it back. Um, again, does anybody want to share anything? Yep, do you want the mic? It might make it easier for people to hear you, if that's Okay. Unfortunately, I think in the world today, Christians are known um, more for what they stand against than what they stand for. And I believe that we're in a time when we need to step up and love like Jesus loved. Um, working in a Christian bookstore doesn't always mean that really it's lovely. I get to see a lot of ugly fruit, and I mean that in a really loving way. But yeah, I think Christians really do need to step up in this day and age and keep their love on and love those even that are unloving. Cool. Maybe one more person? I don't think I need a microphone actually. I think my main duty, I'm so grateful that, that I've seen that light. Our main duty is God is love. Mm. If we share that love genuinely to us as people, my experience is they listen. Mm. And they believe. And I think if we go of that system, we are so blessed. Thank mm. you. Maybe one more person, anyone? Yeah, do you, need, do you want the mic? Yeah, I'm coming. Um, they were talking about how um, Christians in New Zealand are not like invading New Zealand like Paul invaded Ephesus um, much at all but I think there is or I at least hope there is um, I know there is with me um, a sort of invasion into the individuals around us rather than the strangers in our community mm. um, so in our workplaces and in our social places we can be um Invasive Christians and live differently. Hmm. Cool. And I just want to highlight um, we had some other thoughts as well about kind of the impact of Christianity in terms of the way that our society kind of like laws and morals and stuff in our society. Some of them are still really reflective of Christian roots, some other viewpoints on that. So, one more. <laughs> Um, can on is there a reason this isn't going next am I oh there we go okay cool um, discuss this quote and answer this question does this apply to Aotearoa 
The, okay, this lady, she's an African theologian, and I'm reading this book for my study, and she states the mainland, main line, so I googled that, which is mainstream Protestant, so we are under that Protestant um, branch. Churches continue to lament their numerical um, decline, seemingly failing to see their decline might be linked in part to their lack of interest or belief in the life and work of the Spirit as anything other than a myth. So um, we've been talking about the Spirit quite a lot in the book of Acts, so I thought let's, let's have a look at this, see what we think. The, she's talking about uh, northern and western mindset. So I know in Aotearoa we do have more variety in terms of, um, you know, te ao Māori, the Māori worldview, um, from my understanding, is, is, is different. So, and different cultures bring different mindsets. But yeah, let's, let's discuss this quote, um, probably give you guys maybe four minutes, not as long this time. So yeah, jump into your group, have a little discussion. So I'm going to bring it back, back together. Um, if anyone wants to get this quote off me, if you want to discuss it more, can give it to you. Um, does anybody want to share any thoughts about this? Maybe two people, maybe somebody who hasn't shared anything this morning potentially. Yeah, it's on the mic. For some people, even though we're all convinced, which is why we're here, I think for some people, the way that the gospel is presented is maybe not very appealing, and um, there's thinking that can be done about retaining the core message, but representing Christ to the lost and found. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about numerical decline, it's, it's also about being mindful of people's realities, like... Um, I was thinking of one time I was with a friend in a car and we drove past these young people who were listening to Christian hip-hop. And that's, that's not everybody's thing, and there's a subculture with that around drugs and stuff, even though it's Christian hip-hop. And that's not for everybody, but that music will save those young people, and they're never going to come into a church like this on a Sunday, but that's how they're going to meet Christ. And there's, a, there's an aspect of when you go to present to people like that, what does your life look like? You know, Because like, I think if your life's another mess... You know, if you if you were broke but you got up here to teach me about financial planning, I'm going to switch off. So um, it's the same thing. We, we we need to be mindful of how we're presenting the gospel. I think because that is they're going to take into account who you are, and there's possibly some people as individuals we we just can't reach, and that's just being frank. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Anyone else? Yeah, Katie. Hmm. Is it because you want to get rich, or is it because you know, 
Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Katie. I think Jesus tells us how difficult it is for a rich man to go to Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So I'm just going to kind of close with a few thoughts. I'm not actually going to answer your questions <laughs> because I, everyone has different viewpoints and I felt like that wasn't what I wanted to share this morning. But if you want to discuss it with me, you can come ask me afterwards. Um, cool. So I actually did put a note about that, Katie. Um, our goal, in my opinion, our goal isn't to make numbers grow. Numbers aren't everything. And like, I don't think we should be discouraged as a Christian community because maybe these, these facts, these stats might make us feel like, I don't know, discouraged or maybe we're not doing enough. And I think like in terms of my own walk and my own walk in leadership in this community, um, I've been running our youth group for the last three years and sometimes we'll have three or four youth and sometimes we'll have eight or ten. But in terms of numbers, like some, you know, some youth groups might have 50 or they might have 100 or they might have 200, who knows. But I don't think that that's any less valuable um, if I think about my own faith and in terms of the way that I was connected was definitely through relationship and we can do that no matter what numbers look like. So, yeah. But um, the question I want to end with this morning is what is God saying? Um, The gospel has the power to impact and invade every aspect of our society. But I want to finish by discussing two ways that God is calling us to participate in bringing the gospel. So firstly, we have an individual calling. Um, The gospel has the power to impact us and those around us, like we talked about what David was saying through our individual relationships with people. But also in ourselves, are we allowing the gospel to impact how we relate to our own economics, our own society, our own politics, our own religious lives? Like um, what Edmund was saying, you know, are we representing the gospel in the way that we live? But God wants to come into every aspect of our lives if we would let him. So as individuals, we have a unique way of sharing the gospel with others. One way that someone does it is not necessarily going to be the same way that someone else does it, which is why my question is, what is God saying to you? And because that might look different to what God's saying to me or what God's saying to the person next to you. But I also want to acknowledge um, that there's a history in Aotearoa associated with spreading the gospel. When the missionaries first came to Aotearoa, they shared the gospel, but with that, they brought a lot of added expectations on those people of what it meant to be Christian. So I think we have to keep that in mind in our context in Aotearoa about the history of that, because it has caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. Um, So yeah, just a reminder to be careful when it comes to spreading the gospel um, and sharing with others. But our corporate calling, what is God saying? What is God calling us to and saying to us as Hillcrest Baptist Church? There's been lots of stuff going on in our community lately. And my question is, well, what is God saying to us as a a church, as a community? But also, what is God saying to our community in Hamilton and Hillcrest and Aotearoa in the world? What is God saying? So 
Mark's going to come up now um, and lead us through a time of communion. But I do want to encourage you guys to keep, like actually to pray on this and to keep seeking God and asking, what is God saying? Um, Maybe after the service, you could spend some time praying with somebody else for our community in Aotearoa or even sharing something that God's been calling calling you to lately. Because for me, I think testimony is a really powerful way of encouraging others in the faith. And I've been really blessed by hearing other people's opinions this morning. So, yeah, Mark. Thank you, Sophie. What an awesome... That was awesome. I found myself saying amen, amen, amen to what everyone was saying. And I saw lots of people nodding, different comments from different people. Um, I think it's cool to have a... uh, Even if we have differences and different ideas, it's cool to have a united in the spirit conversation and fellowship about this stuff because some of what so I, I'm going to stop talking I'll get in on a rant Sophie that was awesome and all of you thank you for your contributions uh, I actually we're, we're, we're doing communion here's communion here's the bread and the in our case grape juice but we'll call it wine um, for the sake of those who have a either a conscience issue or some other kind of issue with alcohol, we, we, we choose to do non-alcoholic here. Uh, but I actually want to begin with, a, I guess, a confession and an apology. As the pastor of the church and as a brother in Christ, um, you may not have noticed, but we haven't done communion in a very long time as a body. We did it at one thing... Well, a couple, a few one things and uh, sort of led it on an individual basis a couple of times, but we haven't done it at church. And communion is very, very important, and it's very, very precious, and it is very, very precious to me personally, so it's not a lack of care about communion. Uh, but uh, we haven't done it for a very long time. And part of that, obviously, was the kind of COVID winter and not being sure exactly how to do communion well in a way that honoured it. And for me, how to do it when we were divided as a body across different services, that was very difficult for me to figure out. Um, we, We didn't do it for that reason, but it's been a while since we've been back to one service. And uh, yet we still haven't done it. My confession is, I guess, that I'm an overthinker with good intentions. And sometimes I can be stalled in my thinking and in what I'm doing by not having felt like I've thought something through enough. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about communion because it's so precious to me and because I historically and I feel it's so central to the life of the the worship of the church, uh, I've been working through a heap of different kind of issues and the theology of it and 
and the practice of it and how do we do it, you know? Um, I'm not a huge fan of our little, if I'm honest, our little thimbles and our little bit of bread that we do in our little bit by ourselves. I, I feel that that takes away from the communal element of communion, that it's originally it's a table fellowship meal. You would sit together at a table and break bread and, and share in the body and the blood. Um, another thing I've thought about is the, the matter of confession. And there's this puzzling phrase in the passage, uh, after the passage I'm about to read to you, which talks about eating and drinking in a worthy manner. Um, and there's a lot of interpretation about what that means. Um, a lot of it has to do with are you eating and drinking and feasting while other people are starving? You know, the Bible actually, 1 Corinthians, is very, very strong in its language. It says if you eat and drink without discerning the body, you eat and drink destruction upon yourself. He says, this is why some of you are getting so sick. I mean, that's a mystery to me. I, haven't, I still haven't figured it out. But it means that this communion table has gravitas to it, weight. It has a, a seriousness, and not in a solemn, must be serious, no humor, no joy about it, but it's not something that I feel I can take lightly or without the honor that it's due. That's only a couple of the things, and I, we will be here all day if I t- try and explain all my thinking to you. Um, but I was sharing this with a friend a little while ago, and I said, communion is amazing, and God is present in it. I don't, you know, it's, they're symbols, but they're more than a symbol to me. I'm not a Catholic, I'm not talking transubstantiation or whatever, but God, Christ is present in the body and the blood. And then I told him all my thinking. And at the end, he said to me, that's all good, but why are you denying people the blessing of communion by overthinking it and not actually doing it? So there's my apology to you for all my reasons, for all my thinking. We haven't done communion for a long time, and I'm sorry about that. Maybe you didn't notice, maybe you did but you didn't care. Either way, I feel that I owe you an apology and there it is. Please forgive me. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is my body, this is my blood. And when we drink and eat, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. This is the grace, the gift, the beauty of God broken and poured out for us. Taking communion is 
not just remembering, but a remembering, a re-embodying of the covenant made for all eternity between God and us, his people, through Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the covenant was mediated between God and the Israelites by a priest, by, the, by a priestly class, by the Levites. And now we read in the New Testament that we have a high priest, Jesus. And Jesus is the high priest that mediates between us and God. Jesus is the one, because of his body and blood, who mediates the relationship, who makes it possible for us to enter into God's presence and to commune with him. Now I believe that the covenant is in some way still mediated by priests through the high priest, Jesus. But the New Testament tells us that we together are a priesthood of believers. That's a core Baptist conviction, that we are all priests unto God. The difference is not you have God's people, and within that you have a special priestly class. What happened when the gospel and the Spirit came is you had the whole world was welcomed by God, but you have a mediator class called Christians, people who are in Christ. And what that means for this awesome kōrero about how to share the gospel is we are not just telling people a message, we are mediating God to people. And when we take communion, we are not just taking in a memory by ourselves. We are mediating God's gospel through the body and the blood to one another. And mediating and remediating the grace of God. So communion is set up over here by the cross. There's Jugs of wine and bread. There's gluten-free bread. And we're going to do it a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to go up in twos and threes. And if you're near someone with low mobility, I want you to take the initiative upon yourself to go and get something and bring it back to them. And I want us to take... Communion in those twos and threes. Can on? Can you put that um, slide up, please? There's a lot of space here. You can, with your two or your three, you can gather while standing and talk together, or you can uh, come and sit back at your seat. But once you've taken the elements, I want you to. Share in the, the bread and the wine together. What I've got on the screen is a very simple format, a very simple liturgy that you can follow. This is not a religious requirement. You can talk in other ways if you want. But if you can't think of the words yourself, here are some that you can borrow. I said before that confession is a traditional part of communion. 
And I want to challenge you that if you're with someone and there's something that you feel the Spirit prompting you to confess to a brother or sister, some sin that you need to bring to light, I want to challenge you to bring it. It might be that you need to ask someone for forgiveness. It might be that you know that you've wronged someone or that you've done something wrong and you need forgiveness. So I want to challenge you to do it. But if you don't, or if that's a bit too much for today, having just leapt it upon you, I've put up there with what's called the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a simple confession of who Jesus is and a request for his forgiveness, given that we have sinned. And then, I, having confessed together in some way, I want you to share that, that bread and that wine with your brother or sister. I want you to hand them a piece of bread and I want you to hand them their cup. And I'm asking you to do this as an important part of it for me. I want you to look them in the eye. I'm going to pick on Edmund here because it's great. I want you to look them in the eye and say, Edmund, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. I want you to use their name and I want you to look them in the eye. And in that way, mediate that even if this person is struggling to believe it, you can in faith mediate the, the grace of God that's come through these awesome gifts to that person. We'll take a little bit of time to do that, not too long. I'll get in trouble with the people at the back if we go too long. Um, and then after a little bit, of, you can come back to your seats, you can drift off if you want to, but after a little bit of time, I'll... I'll pray and close. Um, here we go. Okay. Can on. I didn't gear you up with this, but can you hop on Spotify and chuck on something, some appropriate backing music? <laughs> um, the table is prepared. Uh, you're all welcome to come and receive. <laughs>